Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. It's election year, as if anyone can miss it. And the main focus of much of the media is on the presidential race. The frontrunners are former President Donald Trump and current President Joe Biden. There's still a chance, however small, that the GOP ticket could end up being someone else. But amid this chatter of who will be commander-in-chief and how Congress will change, are a wide selection of smaller, but arguably more important, local elections. Welcome to The Gaggle, a politics podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. I'm producer and host today, Kaylee Monahan, And I'm Amanda Luberto, also producer and host. Throughout this election year, you'll sometimes hear us hosting The Gaggle, digging into stories the Republic is covering and asking, what are the political repercussions? Coming up in March is the first slate of those smaller local elections. Both Tempe and Litchfield Park, on opposite ends of the valley, are holding some pretty important races. There will be more local elections coming up this summer as well. Often these smaller and hyper-local elections don't get a ton of media coverage, and maybe you don't know what's on the ballot. But at the Republic and here on The Gaggle, we will not leave any race unexplored. Today, we're not only asking who's running and what's on these local ballots, but also why voters should turn out for these local elections. We'll also hear about one legislator who is trying to make changes to how cities can actually run their elections. But first, we turn to Sam Kamak, watchdog reporter for Scottsdale, Tempe, and Chandler here at The Republic. He's been covering Tempe's local races and a proposition that would impact Tempe's ability to grow. He joins us in studio. Sam, great to have you back on The Gaggle. Thanks for having me. So let's go over who is running. Starting with the city council candidates, who are they and what are they bringing to the table? Right. So you have two incumbents, Randy Keating, who's running for his third term, and Doreen Garland, who's running for her second. Keating's the youngest member of the council. He spent a lot of his past two terms focused on issues like homelessness. Now he's kind of focusing more on street safety, street racing. At least that's what I've heard him talk about at the candidate forums. Garland has also focused a lot on homelessness during her term. She is the only one on the council now who doesn't have another job. So she says that makes her an asset because she can turn it into a a full-time job working on the council. And she's also the only council member who's Native American. Then you've got three challengers or three kind of newcomers. Nikki Amberg is the one who's most closely aligned, I'd say, with what the council currently is is looking at in terms of increasing development in certain areas to reduce housing costs. And then the other two are uh, Hugo Tapia, who's a psychologist, a school psychologist, 
and David Lucier, who's a former Green Beret. He runs a, a veterans charity now. Those two guys both are pretty critical of the city's um, approach to development and affordable housing. They're a little bit more, I'd say, uh, conservative, not in right-left sort of thing, but more in just they don't want to see as much development happening. So that's kind of the makeup of who you've got running. You mentioned that Randy Keating is taking up the uh, the torch against street racing. Is that a real problem in Tempe? Yeah, uh, I mean, that's been a big topic of conversation at the candidate forums, just kind of getting people to slow down. I haven't heard it. Uh, I think it's mostly you'd have to talk to people who live in certain parts of Tempe. But based on what I have heard people say, it's kind of a problem. It's loud. People are speeding through red lights. So and the city has been trying to crack down on speed. I know they have this thing called Operation Slowdown right now where the police aren't giving anybody just a warning. You're going to get hit with a ticket. So it does seem to be an issue that at least the city officials are starting to pay attention to. So Mayor Corey Woods is running unopposed for his second term. He's wrapping up his first term. What has he brought to Tempe as a leader and how do Tempe residents view him? Are they generally satisfied with how he's been running the city? Yeah, so a big thing right now in Tempe, I think it's the theme of this election and has been the theme of, well, was also the theme of the Coyotes election. It's just development where people stand on. Is the city too friendly with developers? Are we doing too much development? So I guess when you ask about do people like Corey Woods or not, I think it's kind of split along those lines. You've got back during the Coyotes election, a group called Tempe First that was very opposed to the development, and they're actually now backing David Lucier and uh, Hugo Tapia in, in this election. And I'd say people who are aligned with them are less satisfied with what Corey Woods is doing, but many others are, you know, happy because his main thing, at least for the past couple of years, has been focusing on increasing housing affordability. He's put together this program. It's called Hometown for All. The quick, easy summary of that is there is a nonprofit attached to it, and it sets up an account where the city takes some of the developers' permitting fees and puts it into this account. Also, they have the opportunity for developers to make a donation to that account if they want to sort of you know, sweeten the pot for the city when they're coming in and asking to do something. And so what Tempe does is they take that cash, put it into the uh, nonprofit, then they buy up pieces of land or old properties that can then be developed into affordable housing that's kept permanent rather than kind of depending on the uh, the private sector to do that and then keep those units affordable. Talk about the propositions that voters can expect to see on their ballot. The development one, 2050. Is Corey Woods backing that? And what is in that? What should voters expect to see? Yeah, so general plan 2050, it's kind of a wonky thing to explain. But basically what it does is just create a map uh, and kind of describe the types of development that is allowed in different parts of the city. It doesn't have an actual material change on the ground. So if it passes, no one's going to just all of a sudden see a big apartment complex crop up somewhere in North Tempe where it couldn't have been able to crop up before. It just defines the general category of, of land use and, and density allowed there. Woods is backing that very hard. It's part of his affordable housing initiative. I mean, it's not going to create affordable housing units per se, but it could potentially increase the number of units just in the market. So supply and demand balance out that has an impact on cost citywide. And I think that this is a, the reason why he's backing it so hard is, is that and the the last proposition that he supported wholeheartedly, the, the Coyotes proposition. 
failed. So it's it's probably important for Woods to get this one through after having thrown his weight behind the the previous one that voters just overwhelmingly rejected. If the development of Tempe is such like a hot button issue for citizens, specifically with their mayor, why do you think that he's running unopposed this term? Um, I'm not totally sure. I was actually surprised that somebody from Tempe first didn't run against him. I had expected former council member Lauren Kuby to maybe throw her hat in at one point, but um, she just decided not to. I haven't spoken with her or anybody else from Tempe first about why that is. But I, I don't have a great answer to that. I didn't that. It is it is surprising. Mm-hmm. From a broader scale for Arizonans for the valley at large, my next question actually has two parts. We'll start with the first one, which is specific. Like, why should Tempe voters care about this election? It's small. It's hyper local. Why bother turning out? Right. So I think this election is kind of going to set the tone for the next one in two years. And it's going to lay the groundwork for some bigger changes in two years, depending on who wins, um, whether it be Hugo Tapia, David Lucier getting a, a position or the other three. Um, and that's just because the theme of development, I have to go back to that again. It's going to basically change the makeup of the council. It could shift it towards, you know, that you have those two guys get in. You have some... Um, I don't want to say anti-development, but limited development officials sitting on the dais. Of course, they're not going to have a majority. There's no way that can happen this time. But in two years, they could flip it for a majority. And then you could see a much more development conservative Tempe City Council, just in terms of not wanting to increase density, especially not further south in the city, and kind of a side effect of taking that route, which it's really just a fundamental vision of what Tempe is going to look like. It could be a more urbanized city, or it could be, which would, is kind of like the, the current council's direction, or it could be sort of start to look like a more exclusive community like a Scottsdale. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that leads into my next question a little bit. The broader outlook of all this, why should the rest of the Valley care or pay attention to what the outcome might be? What is Tempe's place in the Valley? I'm thinking if it does become more Scottsdale-like, exclusive, expensive, that could be a deterrent for people wanting to come into the city, potentially. Or it might attract a different type of resident, potentially. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, Tempe is kind of an outlier in the East Valley because, I mean, you've got communities like Chandler and, as I mentioned, Scottsdale that are more traditionally suburban, I guess you would say. And so their concerns about affordable housing are more in line with how Scottsdale is looking at it. It's not as big of a worry. Tempe's kind of, as far as I can tell, talking to officials and residents, it's kind of like a mini Phoenix is how a lot of people view the city. So I guess if that changes, I mean, I think Tempe would kind of just blend in more with what the rest of the East Valley looks like. I mean, the northern part will always be urban because it's already built out, but it would not expand further south. I'm not sure how the other cities would react to that. But at the very least, things like the streetcar going from Tempe to Mesa may not happen, those types of like more urban collaborations between cities that might be trying to increase density in certain areas. You might see that sort of start to wither away, but that's just that's just a guess. With all of the development and everything that's going on, you know, making itself more Scottsdale-y than it is Mesa-y, if we want to use those adjectives, mm-hmm. is this Tempe's effort to distinguish itself as more than just a college town? Yeah, I mean, well, a big thing is that Tempe wants to keep up with the 
projected population growth that the Maricopa Association of Governments projected, I believe it was something like 70,000 new residents over the next decade or a few decades, maybe by 2050. And so at this point, the current city leadership feels like it has an obligation to absorb at least some of that increased population to try and balance out the prices so it's the demand doesn't skyrocket and the supply doesn't stagnate. But again, that's the difference between the current city council and the two guys who are running, David Lucier and Hugo Tapia. And I remember at one candidate forum, Lucier got an audience question about why should we have to accommodate those future potential residents. And his answer was something like, we don't. So, I mean, and that's that's just, again, a fundamental difference between him, his view for the city and the current council's view for the city, because if there isn't more stock, it's it's just inevitable that it's going to become more expensive. So he doesn't feel obligated that the city is obligated to do something about that. The current city council feels it is. And so I think that's kind of the core questions that voters have to answer when they go in and cast their ballot. Which which side do they fall on? To that end, I do think it's important to note that to use a broader geographical term, Tempe is landlocked. It is not up against any sort of just wilderness where it can just keep expanding out. It is bordered by all these other cities and unincorporated land. So when we're talking about development, it can't necessarily expand out as easily as, say, Mesa or Apache Junction. Yeah, the thing about Tempe is it doesn't have room to expand. Like Scottsdale may have some room to expand, tons of room to expand in the West Valley. Tempe is built out. And so the only way to increase the housing stock at this point in any meaningful way is to build taller, denser buildings. So the idea that it's it's not really a single family residence or development versus a multifamily development question. It's multifamily or no housing, no no increase in housing stock at all. Um, so that's one of the tricky things that Tempe is kind of trying to navigate and why under the general plan, they've increased the proposed general plan. They've increased density in some areas to accommodate those taller buildings and that they're um, trying to to generally just keep their eye on kind of upping development in taller development areas where the current city council would say it's appropriate. With all elections, the future of your city is on the line, right? That's the point of elections. But it really seems like in Tempe, how you want to see the city develop is really on the line. So why is it important that voters turn out for this election when maybe the average voter has their head in the game for presidential and maybe not a lot of local stuff? Local government, city government is the level of government that most impacts people on a daily basis. They're the service providers rather than, you know, a legislator is going to make policy and then that's going to be carried out basically by a city if it has to do with any sort of municipal um, services. So who runs your city is who you're, who's going to make decisions on things like, will they build an apartment complex at, you know, a couple blocks down the road from my residential neighborhood? And how are they going to tackle homelessness in the sort of increase that you may see in, in parks around the city? And so when you go in and cast a ballot for those things, it's, it's in a way arguably more consequential than the ballot that you cast. For you, for your everyday life, it's more consequential than the ballot that you cast for a presidential ticket, say. All right. So it is important to vote as we have established, but when and how can people vote in this election? 
So ballots went out last week. So residents should either have already received them or should be expecting to receive them sometime soon. They can mail that back anytime before March 5th, but that's the cutoff if you want to get your vote counted. So um, if you don't get it in, in time for that, you should uh, find an in-person voting location. You go on Tempe's website or the county's website to find those locations. Um, there are also drop box locations. It's kind of like a, like a post office box where you just drop in a ballot and kind of go. And then election day is March 12th, so that's when you'll be seeing who wins after 7 p.m. Sometimes after, sometime after then. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, you can vote in person if you choose on that day as well. Right, Just find absolutely. your polling station. So wonderful. Well, Sam, thank you so much for filling us in on what's happening in Tempe. If people want to follow your coverage of this election and your other work, where can they find you online and on social media? On Twitter or X, it's um, at KMACSAM. It's spelled K-Amazon Michael, A-C-K, Sam. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Another part of the valley that is holding an election this March is Litchfield Park. Situated about 20 miles west of Phoenix and only a stone's throw away from Glendale, the small city of just under 7,000 residents is gearing up for a big decision. To tell us more about it is Alexandra Hartle, the Southwest reporter for The Republic. Alexandra, welcome to your first time on The Gaggle. Thanks for having me. So, Alex, help us get a sense of what Litchfield Park is like, especially for those who might live on the East Valley, rarely head to the West Valley. Yeah, so Litchfield Park, it's a pretty small city. It's a relatively, I would say, affluent area, and there isn't a lot of multifamily housing, so there are a lot of single-family homes. I'd say it's a pretty family-friendly area. So what people are voting on in Litchfield Park may be a little different than what other more established cities around the Valley are voting on. So let's talk about it. What will people be seeing on their ballot? So on the ballot, it'll be listed as Proposition 480, and residents will be voting on whether Litchfield Park will become Arizona's first charter city in over 40 years. So it's something we haven't seen in a while. Litchfield Park is currently a general law city, so that just means that they operate under state law. So if the charter passes, it'll have its own its own charter. It'll have its own city laws. And some other nearby charter cities include Phoenix, Scottsdale, and then In the West Valley, Glendale, Avondale, and Goodyear are all charter cities. That's so interesting. So you kind of hit on it in your answer there, but let's really drill down on what it means to be a charter city. Yeah. So when I spoke to the Litchfield Park city manager, Matthew Williams, he kind of said, you know, a lot of it comes down to more local control. Residents will have a say in when elections are. They'll have a say in city council terms, term limits, when the elections are. They'll have more control over taxes. So, yeah, it just comes down to local control, I would say. Right now, they're not considered an unincorporated area. They're not county island, which we've talked about before on the podcast. Are they in between? No. So Litchfield Park is a fully incorporated city just right now because they are a general law city. They operate under state law. So the state kind of decides all of the local laws. And then if the charter passes, they'll have all of their own laws. They'll have their own charter. 
So they'll have more control and more say over what happens in their communities. Yeah, exactly. There'll be more. The residents will have control over their own laws. Why is it important that voters show up for this? How will it affect their city? It'll affect things like city council. So one of the things that I spoke to the city manager about was local elections sometimes. So under state law right now, local elections all take place in the fall, in November. And, you know, maybe residents are paying more attention to the presidential election than they are to the city council election. So under the new charter, they could write a law that says that city council elections happen in the spring. So, you know, maybe they'll be paying more attention to that. It'll impact taxes. Uh, that's another thing. Litchfield Park has never had a property tax, which I think is interesting. So, And that was another thing that the city manager said, you know, we don't intend to uh, implement a property tax. So that's another thing that was written into the charter is that if, there, if the city wants to do a property tax, it'll have to go to voters before it's actually implemented. So what else is in the charter that people of Litchfield Park should know about? A big thing that residents were concerned about at one of the public input meetings that I went to in January were things related to city council terms. So under state law, anyone who's 18 years old can run for city council. So that was another thing that residents kind of seemed like they wanted that age to be raised. So in the charter, that age is raised to 21, even though some residents said they wanted it to be raised to even higher to 24, 25. But ultimately in the charter, that age is 21. Another thing is that under state law, the city council members and the mayor don't have any term limits, but now they will all have four four-year term limits. The mayor of Litchfield Park, Tom Shove, he's already surpassed those four terms. I think he's in his sixth term right now. And he and any city council members who have already surpassed four terms, they will be able to run for one more. And then that'll be implemented. The term limits will be implemented. And I just confirmed... You are right. Uh, <laughs> the current mayor, Tom Schoff, has won six elections, so he's in his sixth term now. What are the chances this passes? How do voters feel about this so far? Do you feel like it's going to be pretty successful or it really is a 50-50 shot? Chances are this is probably going to pass. It was a pretty public process. Like I said, there was a public input meeting in January, so residents really were able to voice their opinions. And the people who wrote the charter, they were all citizens as well. 14 freeholders got elected in November, and they were doctors, teachers, just a lot of, I guess, normal people, you could say, that wrote the charter. So the city definitely made an effort to make sure that the charter reflects what people actually want. And I think the chances are pretty high. So Mail-in ballots went out on February 14th, Statehood Day. Feels appropriate for voting on a charter. <laughs> Some residents might have their ballots already. So let's go over the important dates that people should know. When should they make sure they should mail in their ballots if they're doing mail-in? And when is in-person voting if they choose to do in-person voting? So as you said, ballots got sent out on February 14th, and voters will have until March 5th to mail in their ballots. It is a mail-only election, but if residents don't have a mail-in ballot on Election Day on March 12th, they can go to the church at Litchfield Park, which is located on Old Litchfield Road, and they can fill in their mail-in ballots there. Great. Alexandra, thank you so much for sitting down with us about this. 
Um, obviously, people can find your work on azcentral.com. But if they would like to find you on social media to make sure they keep up with your work specifically, where can they find you? So I am on X, Twitter. I need to tweet more often, but my handle is Alexandra Hartle, just my name. Perfect. And that's H-A-R-D-L-E. Yes. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So Litchfield and Tempe are holding these small but very important elections. And if you're not a resident of these areas, you might be thinking, well, that's all good and well, but that doesn't really affect me. Well, there is a state lawmaker who's looking to change just how municipalities run their elections that could impact you. And for that, we're turning to a familiar voice here on The Gaggle. Mary Jo, welcome to the other side of the mic. Well, glad to be on the other side of the table. Hope I sound okay. Always, always. <laughs> All right. So aside from being a host on The Gaggle, of course, your reporting covers local legislation and policy, essentially. There is a new proposal that would open voters up to the possibility that they would need to return to the polls. So tell us all about that. Who is behind it and what does it say? This is such an interesting bill, and it's brought to us by Senator John Kavanaugh, who's a Republican from Fountain Hills. His bill says that if a local election is held and they get less than 25 percent voter turnout, you got to do it over. And you got to do it over on the same day as the state's primary election or the general election. It raised all kinds of questions like, can you require somebody to go vote? I mean, a lot of these local elections do get pretty low turnout. The Tempe one that we're talking about, we'll see if they crack 25%. But if his bill were law after this election is held, They'd have to redo it either at the next primary or at the November general election, which, of course, increases costs because then you're running an election twice. What would be the benefit of returning to the polls? Well, the benefit was you get more turnout. Kavanaugh says that he's really bothered by these elections that are held during like the off cycle when you're not out at the polls voting for governor or legislature or U.S. senator. And he wants them to all get in line and just come in and do their city council race or their school bond issue when there is a primary election or the state general election. That will boost turnout. But it's also a way to probably increase the population that would look at an issue. We don't know if they'd vote if it gets on the ballots. You know, these ballots can get re really, really long. But um, he believes, as many others do, that these cities and school boards do these in off cycles because they basically just get their fans showing up to vote yes, and they don't get the no vote out. So voter turnout is already an issue in Arizona, as you said, though it did spike, you know, across the country in the last presidential election. I think that was a pretty special case. But what are the chances that voters would not only vote once, but twice, if their fellow residents don't show up? <laughs> well, actually, probably pretty good, because if you make that do-over election be at the same date as the primary or the same date as the general election, you know, people are going to show up to vote for president, right? They're going to show up to vote for U.S. Senate. And the thinking behind this bill is, well, then, you know, you'll way down at the bottom of the ballot, after maybe after all the judges, you'll see these school board elections, for example, and maybe people will vote. 
that's thinking of it. Bottom line is Kavanaugh is saying this is a way to encourage these local governments to change their election calendars and have them sync up with the state. And sort of inherent in that is um, a little threat that maybe if that doesn't happen, maybe they'll just be a bill in a couple of years to force them to move their election dates. What are the actual possibilities that this bill is approved and sent into law? I think the first part's very likely it'll be approved, but um, it'll probably get vetoed by Governor Hobbs. Critics of this bill say, well, wait a minute, you know, you can't force people to vote. I mean, in America, we have the right to vote, and that also includes the right to not vote. I talked to a policy director at an organization called uh, Securing Democracy, and they track bills, election bills, all across the U.S., and he's never seen anything like this. Like, this is a really novel idea. And he points out that if you forced an election to a do-over, then you're nullifying the votes of the people that did show up in maybe an arguably low turnout election, but they they went to the trouble to go vote and their votes should not be canceled by forcing a do-over. What does it say about the temperature of elections in Arizona that this is even being proposed in the first place? Does it give you a sense of a bigger picture? Yeah, I think there's you know, it sort of fits with this ongoing theme of distrust in elections, you know, like these local elections are being staged so they can only get their supporters to turn out. And also a sense that we vote a lot in Arizona. I mean, we have a a lot of elections and there's a desire, at least in some quarters, to streamline that, which probably a lot of people would, would not disagree with. So as of right now, where does the bill stand? Well, Senate Bill 1131 got through the Senate Elections Committee on a party-line vote, Republicans in support, uh, Democrats opposed. Although I will note that Republican Senator Ken Bennett, who's a former Secretary of State, said he's really troubled by this idea of forcing an election to be done over again. But Kavanaugh's view on this is that he thinks that these are you know, low participation elections, and those are a form of voter suppression, and he's trying to change it. The bill has passed the committee, and we'll see if it gets through the full Senate, but I think its prospects are pretty good. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the other side of the table. If people want to follow your work online, where can they find you? I'm at Mary J. Pitzel. That's P-I-T-Z-L. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. All right. That is it this week, Gaggle listeners. Do you have questions about today's episode or even topics you'd like us to cover on the show? Let us know. You can send us a message at 602-444-0804 or send us a voice memo to thegaggle at arizonarepublic.com. That's all one word and that's all spelled out. Your message just might be aired on an episode. This episode was edited and produced by me, Kaylee Monahan with support by Amanda Luberto. Our news direction is by Kathy Tulamello, and episode oversight is by Kara Edgerson. Our music comes from Universal Production Music. Never miss an episode of The Gaggle by subscribing to us wherever you listen. If you learned something new today, be sure to share this episode with a friend. You can also leave us a review and rate us five stars. You can follow The Gaggle on social media, at AZC Podcasts. I'm at Amanda Luberto. That's L-U-B-E-R-T-O. And I'm at Kaylee Monahan. That's 
K A E L Y M O N A H A N. The Gaggle is an Arizona Republic and AZCentral.com production. Next week, election dissection. This is our monthly series on breaking down how elections work, and it returns next week for an episode about ballot boxes, voting centers, and the debate on where to vote. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.